today. Uh, we have Dr. Heather Keefe. She is a lecturer in Regent University's School of Psychology and Counseling. She holds a master's degree in experimental psychology from Old Dominion University and has worked in behavioral health research at Eastern Virginia Medical School for several years prior utilizing her research skills in support of the military. She earned her doctorate in clinical psychology from Regent University and completed her internship with the Sheridan Wyoming Veterans Affairs Healthcare System. Her clinical and research interests center on intersectionality and identity work, specifically within the LGBTQ population, as well as adult, military, and veteran polytrauma and polysubstance use. In addition, her clinical practice includes treatment of mood disorders, serious mental illness, and personality disorders. She has a passion for working with community partners to encourage clinical best practices that promote inclusivity and advocacy. Dr. Keith, thank you so much for joining me today. No, oh, thanks so much for inviting me to this. It's good to see you. Yeah. Um, so I've been starting these uh, kind of interviewing some of the region faculty. And one of the first things I ask is just uh, where did your interest, your general interest in psychology begin? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Such a such an interesting question, right? So um, I'm not really sure. I know that in high school, so this is like a hundred years ago, uh -huh. um, but in high school they actually offered a psychology class, and uh -huh. it was for the upperclassmen to take. Uh -huh. And I know that I somehow finagled my way into that class as like a sophomore. I like <laughs> somebody was like, "I'm going to be great." Uh, so let me take that class, and then I started college, and I. Um, actually was pre-med when I started college. I wanted to be a, a biochemist oh. and uh, realized very quickly that I hated chemistry. <laughs> and I said, you know what, I, I really enjoy my psych classes. I've always enjoyed people and patterns and understanding uh, or seeking understanding um, into humans. And so that's really where it was. And I left, uh, majored in psychology as an undergrad and minored in sociology and then um, pursued my master's shortly after that hmm. but yeah that's really where it started i would say super early don't know why <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's cool I'm, I'm fascinated every time i never had any psychology classes in high school and i don't know a lot of people who did in my area so that's really neat that a lot of high schools are offering that yeah it was pretty yeah. cool um and then so what, what went into your decision to pursue a master's? So, uh, well, I realized as an undergraduate that um, I didn't have a lot of guidance in what mm. it would, like, I knew I was interested in this topic. I knew that I was in college. I knew that I want to be educated. I knew I wanted to do these types of things, but it wasn't really until like my senior year or my junior or senior year um, in undergrad when I realized, oh, um, in order for me to do the work that I want to do, it requires a graduate degree. Uh -huh. And then what is a graduate degree, right? Like, what does that <laughs> even mean? And then all the different facets of psychology and science within that. And so mm -hmm. I did um, some exploring. I, I was able to, um, I just think it was very fortuitous, right? Divinely um, uh, opportunities were just coming for me to talk with some wonderful mentors who took the opportunity to explain graduate school to me, to explain um, how the field works, um, beyond, you know, kind of getting your undergraduate degree. Uh -huh. And it was in that time that I was like, oh, okay. I also was doing um, an external practicum 
at EVMS at the time um, doing some research assistant work. And so they offered me a position to work after my undergrad degree. I stayed there for a couple of years and then realized quickly that I wanted some more um, independence and autonomy in the work that I was doing. Hmm. And the master's degree in experimental psychology really aligned with the, my interests at the time. It still does. Um, and so I, I went back and got my master's, finished that pretty quickly, and then uh, went back to EVMS actually to work as a research associate at the time. So okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And that's um, another, another fascinating thing is that, so you were able to, with your bachelor's work at EVMS for a while, for you said a couple of years? Yeah, it was about two yeah. years. Good. Year and, um, and then I'm not really familiar with experimental psychology. Can you explain that to me? Sure. So it's really, you know, the science of what we do. Um, and so a lot of my coursework was statistics. Um, I actually took two stats classes in my undergraduate degree. It just, wow. I was double majoring at the time. So I double majored in psychology and sociology for a while and then realized I wanted to pursue uh, my graduate work in psychology. And so I dropped the sociology degree down to a minor. Um, but in both of those tracks, they required different types of stats classes. And so um, it was just a really good math fit for me. My brain you know, yeah. somehow wraps around that pretty easily. And I understand scientific design. Um, that's just how like my brain organizes information anyway. And so when I was looking at options for kind of next steps, I knew that I loved research. I loved gathering data, creating and publishing like what is knowable essentially and, uh -huh. and the responsibility that comes with that. And so I, I loved, um, you know, the option to, to be here and to do, I point this way because that's where ODU is, okay. um, <laughs> to be right down the street um, and, to, and to do more of that work and to refine my skills as a scientist. And so um, I learned a lot more about stats, the research design, um, did a whole thesis um, study, independent kind of research study there, which was super interesting. Um, uh, and ultimately, like, it, it it is why when I talk with people now, I, I I don't I don't know if people know this about me, but I identify first as a scientist, also as a practitioner, but I identify first as a scientist. Um, and that's really just kind of how I think about the world. Um, but I also love the idea of putting what's knowable into practice, right? So after a while, and this isn't the question that you asked me, but after a while in working in research. Um, I really yearned to be able to do the thing. So mm -hmm. I loved kind of getting to getting creating knowledge and um, discovering the world, but then wanting to put it into practice was a, it was kind of felt like it was left out. Hence why I, I sought a clinical degree. Yeah. And I was thinking while you're, you know, you're so data driven um, and research oriented, did you consider PhD programs or was your kind of drive to now put it into practice, your main focus on why you chose Regent or how did that play out? Super, really good question. Um, so yes, I think originally when I was looking at doctoral programs, um, I, I was thinking through a PhD program, um, but when I got to understand more about what a society looked like, a PhD was redundant for me in a lot of ways and that I had such a concentrated degree in experimental psychology already. Uh -huh. um, and so I didn't, I didn't 
necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily grow in the same ways that somebody who came straight from undergrad or came with a clinical degree into a PhD program. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the CID program worked better in that it was super um, focused on kind of the clinical skills and mm -hmm. that clinical training and that I already had the underpinnings of, of my master's degree to kind of kind of augment that if you will yeah so i don't feel like i'm missing anything and for me it was it was the right choice for yeah, sure that makes sense did you um being at regent they have a few different research groups um did you find one that you really liked and just kind of honed in there and did you do a lot of research while you went through this id program or something you know we have kind of a somewhat of a free roaming type of choice where we can be really involved with research or kind of take a step back from it. So what was that like for you being here at Regent? Yeah, Regent was really different. So, you know, having been at, at a secular kind of um, state funded university, uh -huh. research was a really big deal um, in, in our graduate programs. It was how we got funded. It was how people, you know, didn't have to take out a lot of student loans, right? Like there is yeah. a big deal. And so it's a little bit just the, the structure of our our CID program and that it's the medical model um, and it's just it's just slightly different and we don't sit on people's grants as students the way that PhD programs do and so um, that took a little shifting in my brain to kind of think about and wrap my head around uh -huh. uh, but ultimately it serves us well because we get flexibility right so like you know when you're in a PhD program and you're attached to a, a person and their grant like you're doing that work um, mm -hmm. for, for better or worse and hopefully it aligns um, but here you get the opportunity to explore a little bit more. And so for me, when I was super excited about that, that was that was a plus um, um, in the region column for me. And so when I came to the program, um, I did. I reached out to a couple of teams and I, I was fully invested. And so I was on hope uh, starting in okay. year one. And I also was with um, Dr. House with ISSI um, starting in my first year and on that research team. And it was, I, I stayed with both teams through my first and second year in the program. And then in my third year, I was offered the opportunity by Dr. Yarhouse to be his um, research associate. And so I, oh. I came on um, to support ISSI in their research mm -hmm. in a more formal role um which is wonderful for me but also like my bandwidth was only so far right and yeah, so yeah. um dr ripley was so incredibly gracious with me i was so nervous to meet with her and asked her, <laughs> like, hey can i pare down because you know in third year of hope uh the the, the requirements for for third and fourth years goes up and you get more opportunities and okay. that's a wonderful experience but i didn't have the bandwidth for that and mm. so she was really gracious in saying like you know if you need to make a decision, that's totally fine. And I was able to do that. And um, I say that, I highlight that to say that the faculty have been super supportive yeah. um, of our goals and our research along the way. And, and um, it, it wonderfully worked out for me, which I'm really grateful for, yeah. Well, that's good that um, I, I think a lot of us are in our first and second year, we, especially maybe the second year, you take on um, maybe more than you can handle. And um, there, there's even the proclivity to continue taking on that amount of work and just run yourself thin. Um, so one, it's good on you that you had the, the insight and the self wherewithal to be able to ask, like, I can't sustain this and I need to focus my attention elsewhere for this. And so that's cool that it's good for you and it's good for the faculty that they allowed that and made room for that. Um, can you, 
so Dr. Yarhouse no longer being here, I'm not really, I'm not familiar with ISSI. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Institute for the Study of Sexual Identity. That's what it is. Institute okay. for the Study of Sexual Identity. As um, the research team went along, because he, he, had, he had been doing that with Dr. Zaborzetz um, from the counseling program, like they uh, were ch like chair and co-chair, director and co-director, um, assistant director um, throughout the, the time that I was there for sure. Um, and in the later years, but right before Dr. Airhouse left, it also included gender identity. And so he not only had ISSI as a research team, which I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute, but he also had a specialty clinic in the PSC um, called SGI, which is Sexual and Gender Identity Clinic. Okay. And so we would see clients through the PSC that were presenting with concerns around sexual and gender identity and wanting to explore that hmm. um, alongside their faith identity as well, um, So, which was a wonderful opportunity. We also did group therapy at, right in the room where you're sitting right now, actually, oh, cool. um, helping helping people navigate their, their faith identities and their sexual identities in a really meaningful way. So ISSI, actually still exists. Um, it is Dr. Zaporizet's in the counseling department. Um, since Dr. Airhouse left has kind of like subsumed um, directorship of that. I actually, okay. she's on my list of people to talk with today about um, perhaps kind of understanding where they are with their science right now, because I just don't know. Um, but we did a number of studies through that team. So it was in fact a, a, a research-based team. Dr. Yarhouse and Dr. Zaporizets had um, colleagues and, and co-investigators um, that they would partner with across the country on different studies. A lot of them were qualitative in design in okay. part because the numbers of people for whom, you know, like, you know, they would meet the inclusion criteria of having, you know, a faith, uh, background or faith part of their um, integration hmm. aspect to who they were and then also um, a sexual or gender minority status and so finding people who kind of fit in that and are willing to engage in research yeah is, it's a small n and so um and a lot of it's new there's not a lot of research out there at least at the time uh, when dr Yarhouse first started for sure and so we would do a lot of qualitative studies um and really it's really rich rich data but if mm. you've ever done qualitative work it can take a little bit of time uh -huh. um so there are some really wonderful studies that came out of that really wonderful dissertations mixed orientation marriage um study that uh dr matlock Joshua Matlack did. And so um, it was a really rich, um, and it probably still is. I just, I haven't talked to Dr. Zaporizas yet, but my experience of being there was a really rich time of lots of opportunities for people to um, partner um, in the research process, but also support other people as they walked through their dissertations, right? Mm -hmm. And so there would be dissertation support along the way, which is also just invaluable. Mm -hmm. um, I benefited from that for sure. Oh. Uh, did you have kind of prior interest in that area of, of research and work, or was it something that was fueled by, oh, this sounds like an interesting research group, and then you kind of joined, saw what it was like, and then really liked it, and then progressed from there? You know, that's an interesting question. I So in my master's work, in my time at EVMS, a lot of my research focused on um, families um, and like paternal involvement and like parent education. And I did, I did run parent education groups for about 
like 13 years, even for, it was just a long time. So uh -huh. like family work was a lot of what my research had been in previously. Some, some like, you know, research in schools and things of that nature. Uh -huh. um, but I think the idea of family was just interesting to me. And so uh -huh. when I was looking at the research that was available or like kind of established um, research groups, Dr. Ripley's kind of, um, couples work was super interesting to me and then also the i like the idea of looking at the intersection of faith and sexual and gender identity felt mm. so necessary to me it felt mm. like such important work um as you know there are like interest meetings in the first part of the fall semester and so i you know went to all these interest meetings and it just felt like such relevant important work and i was um impressed if i can say that by dr yarhouse and his and his students that he had who were yeah. really um they were authentic in their like desire to support people who perhaps didn't have a voice mm -hmm. um and really helping create knowledge and science around things that you know people make assumptions about and so for me that felt like really important work i don't know that it had even occurred to me that I would do um, sexual and gender identity work before I came to the program, although um, the LGBTQ community was obviously present and on my mind um, prior to that. And so I think it was kind of like this perfect storm of events that happened for me yeah. um, and opportunities that happened. And um, absolutely believe that was divinely ordained and so <laughs> so i will i will say yes to god anytime <laughs> to walk that out so um yeah Does that yeah, that's really cool i i think it was my first year yeah um in dr page's class psychopathology um you and i don't remember his name who did Dr. you always Furman. do the carson Furman. carson Furman. so you two came and did a presentation um and then you um, I think it was a year later, we had a, another type of meeting and you guys did another presentation. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking like, wow, how cool is it that within the time that we're here at this program, I could, I could potentially be kind of in her shoes and I could know all of this about this specific topic and be able to give presentations. And you were already in my mind, you were already considered kind of an expert in that area because you were so immersed in the literature and the research and you were giving talks. And so I thought that's really cool to hear kind of your your beginnings after I've seen where you are. Where you I know? Was. Yeah, yeah. That's very kind of you to say, actually. <laughs> and it's funny because I, you know, D Dr. Furman and I, it's funny. It's funny that the timing of this, I say funny, uh -huh. it's ironic. So uh -huh. Wednesday this week, I gave the gender dysphoria lecture for Dr. Page's psychopathology class, okay. which you remember. Yeah. Um, and then literally yesterday, the next day, uh, Dr. Furman and I were invited to, to speak in team meeting again. So we gave a oh. similar kind of talk and we're doing it again next week. So I think the timing of this is really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Remember that it has been such a joy uh personally and professionally to um be in the literature and to do something that i'm passionate about uh -huh. and to have the opportunity to to grow in that way and then to do that like with my colleague has been a really wonderful opportunity as well yeah. and i will say that a lot of um it, dr yarhouse to his credit um was really intentional about giving us and inviting us into uh -huh. opportunities with him and so he 
you know, is a big name and did really big and is doing big and wonderful things mm -hmm. and um, invited his students along for that um, as much as we were able um, to do that. And, and, and I think that was just so significant in my own development mm -hmm. to be able to shadow him and see how he does things. But then also it forced me to grow, right? Like I was then in a position where I had to know stuff, right? Like I was yeah. already in the literature, but I was like, if I'm going to go teach somebody, I got to make sure I know what I'm talking about. Um, and so these were just really great opportunities and it and it propels us forward and so dr Furman and i um, are still doing research on the side we are um, kind of developing different materials moving forward it's just really it's a really exciting time actually yeah, yeah. so i'm excited for you to have the same thing <laughs> thank you if this podcast was different i would be asking you what those were and if i can ask that now yeah like what are the things you want to be interested in where do you want to grow yeah yeah no those are important questions and it's um very much, it seems almost day by day, my, my thinking is reorienting or shifting. Um, but it brings me to, I, I was, uh, now that you're on the, on the, <laughs> let's see, on the outside of the student life, finally, um, where do you see yourself? So you've come back to Regent, you're, you're in faculty. Um, maybe what is your faculty position or what are your kind of ideas about working here at Regent? And then where do you see yourself going with either research with um, practice as a licensed psychologist? Mm -hmm. What is your what is your kind of future look like immediate future? You know, such great questions. Um, and I will say it's funny to watch people kind of say that, right? Because it's like when you're on the other side, or when you're outside, because uh -huh. it's like this kind of, uh, you know, you're in it and then you're out of it, but uh -huh. you're never really out of it, right? Um, <laughs> although it is interesting to come back to the place where I was trained. Yeah. Um, that is an interesting process. And I will say I have had such a, a wonderful kind of re-entry oh, <laughs> process, good. if you yeah. will. Uh, yeah, it's been so warm um, mm. and so welcoming. I, I I couldn't have asked for anything more, honestly. It's, it's um, again, divinely kind of orchestrated yeah. um i will say so so the contract that i'm on right now is a one-year contract um and you know i i i've appreciated it for exactly what it is uh -huh. um it's, it's a really great opportunity that presented itself i couldn't have guessed that this is kind of where my um first year out of out of grad school would take me um but i have always again identified as a scientist first and when i was in the program my very first year uh, clinical psychology was taught by dr ripley actually at the time okay. so, uh, i'll never forget one of the first lectures that we had she asked like what do people want to do like when you're done with this program in five years where do you want to be hmm. And I always said, I imagine myself to be in an academic setting. I imagine myself to be either at a teaching hospital or a university. Um, and I wanted all three. I wanted to be able to do research and teach and also have a clinical practice. And here I am today getting to do all three. Wow. And it is a moment, I think it was last week, I was leaving uh, the university and um, heading home. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I am now doing the thing that I've been wanting to do for, hmm forever and so yeah. um it's such a blessing right i um i'm, I'm excited i can't stop smiling right because it's, <laughs> it's just like it's such a great it's such a great place to be and i i i i love hearing students talk about their dreams i love having conversations with students that are really um you know where they share their desires because those are meaningful like you have those for a purpose and so how do we help you walk those out um if 
So this is a one-year contract. I do have a, a, you know, I'm working with a private practice on the side. And again, I'm, I'm still doing research um, independently and with, with Dr. Furman. And I've, I've created some um, therapy materials that I really enjoy while I was on internship. I had the opportunity to do that. And I'm, I'm so excited to not only use those, but then also do some science on them mm -hmm. and publish that. And so um, I have some ideas about things I want to do. And if it's mutually beneficial, if it, if it becomes appropriate and there's an opportunity for me to stay on a regent at this point, um, I, I would, I would be happy to do that. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy the students. Like that's what we're here for. We're here for you all. Um, and that's my favorite part of my job being here, but then also my colleagues are wonderful um, and getting to be supported by such wonderful leadership is great too. And so um, selfishly, it's a really great place for me. And so as we kind of move through the year, we'll, we'll see where that goes. And if I get to stay here, great. But yeah. if not, I want to have all three of those things kind of in my career, um, regardless of where I end up for sure. Yeah, kind of wherever you go. Is um, the, how many, how many hours, like how many therapy hours a week do you generally have with the private practice on top of Regent? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so as a clinical psychologist, if you are working in an academic setting, like full-time faculty or yeah. a tenure track position, yeah. uh, especially for clinical people, they, they usually have um, like a day a week that like, you know, eight to 10 hours uh -huh. that would be toward research or clinical practice. Um, and in lots of institutions, not just Regent, but in lots of institutions where they hire clinical folk, um, part of the reason to do that, to encourage that is to keep your skills active, right? So if you're gonna be teaching the next generation of clinicians, they wanna make sure that you're kind of in the literature learning and still growing and, and practicing well. Um, so roughly speaking, I have about, I have a day that I dedicate toward that, but you know, of course uh -huh. I still like, I'll have students pop in for supervision real quick or, uh -huh. and that's great. I'm happy to be on campus to do that. And so, uh, the private practice that I'm working with has allowed me to be able to be on campus and see my patients there as opposed to being oh, good. Uh, at an office somewhere. So yeah, it has worked out wonderfully well for me, um, to be kind of melding the two together in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming for me. Yeah. Personally. Yeah, that's neat. That's good to hear. It's good. So one of the things I love about this is um, with even within the specific field of clinical psychology and the, the, the degree that we get here, there are so many avenues to take post. <laughs> so um, it's very encouraging to hear stories like yours where you, um, you know, you're doing the exact thing that you that you want to do and you're making it happen. And so that's that's good to hear about. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how about, can I ask about a little bit about Wyoming uh, when, when you chose your internship site, was it a VA that, that you worked at there? It was. Okay. Yeah. Is that, um, what went into your decision? Yeah. To why Wyoming maybe, or why the VA and how was, how was your experience of the VA? I think VAs can, um, sometimes get a bad, a bad reputation on the way that they, they're, you know, the, just the bureaucracy within the VA. So sure, maybe, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. It was um, it was an experience. So I'll, I'll kind of walk you through. And if you have follow up questions, you just ask me if I, okay. if I don't okay. get to something that you're super interested in. So okay. um, for about 
uh, I don't know, 12 years or so, I worked in government contracting as well. And so I had a lot of exposure um, to the Navy specifically. The majority of my contracts when I worked in industry were with the Navy. And so I had a lot of exposure to military life, obviously living in this area, there are a lot of military people. Um, And so it was kind of like a no brainer for me to, to seek those opportunities when I was in, um, in my doctoral training. Uh And so for my fourth year practicum site, actually was placed at Portsmouth Naval Hospital. Okay. Um, and working with active duty persons. That was a wonderful experience to me. I know the bureaucracy. I sat <laughs> in it, right? Like I worked with it for a long time. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a new thing for me. It was, mm-hmm. um, it was part for the course. Right. And so yeah. learning to work within that system is like, you kind of figure out how it goes and then you, you, you move your way through. Um, and so that was a really great opportunity. And I knew that when I was looking at internships that I wanted um, certain experiences. Hmm. Um, and the VA seemed like the best fit for that, partly because I already had military experience and I knowing that I wanted to come back and be in this area, right. My family is here. This is a, is a meaningful, I have roots here. Um, and so I knew why I wanted to come back here and the rate, uh, the likelihood of me working with active duty and veteran persons is really high. Hmm. And so I wanted to get really good training around that. So that was one thing okay. Two is that I, I wanted to work in a hospital setting. I don't know why it's always felt like a fit for me. I I really enjoy interdisciplinary work, Mm. working with other people who have wonderful skill sets that are totally different than mine, that we can all come together um, to benefit the patient. That feels like good, like, work for me, you know, yeah, so I knew I wanted to work in an interdisciplinary setting. Hospitals makes a lot, made a lot of sense to me. Um, so I was looking at some inpatient hospitals some state hospitals, um, partly also because I did not have inpatient um, training when I was in the doctor. So I, none okay. of my practicum sites were at inpatient sites. Mm-hmm. And I, for, for me, uh-huh. You know, when I saw myself as a psychologist, I did not want to graduate and be done with my training without having experienced inpatient or residential mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. So I was looking for something that had all of that wrapped up together. And the VA system was really the best fit for that. So I applied to, I think, all VAs. I think I had a couple. I may have had, you know, two or three state hospitals in there, too. Um, but it was really all VAs. And I'm OK. Like, again, I understood the bureaucracy, bureaucracy for what it was. <laughs> Um, and so I kind of had that mindset, but I also knew that the VAs were well-structured for internship training. It wasn't actually until I got to my internship site that they said, said, it was the 75th anniversary of VAs training psychologists, clinical psychologists. And so they gave us a little history about it. There was like this nationwide VA thing where all of us who were at VAs got to be, you know, kind of on this call together. It was really great. Um, and then you realize how much money and time and effort um the u.s government has put into Mm. clinical psychology training for its veterans and the majority so the the place that employs the most psychologists in the nation are the va is the va system and so um each one is different right they're all they're all slightly different but they all do follow a very similar kind of format so i was looking for places that had a lot of different opportunities within the within that particular hospital but i specifically wanted to also make sure that they had inpatient training as well okay Mm. all of that said Uh um i went up and down the east coast because that's what i'm really familiar with um i've never been to wyoming or that part of the country in my life (laughs) Um, but I also knew that I didn't have 
I didn't have rural training. And so I was like, if I'm going to be a generalist mm. psychologist, I need to be as well-rounded as I possibly can mm. and do all the things that I could possibly do in training before I, I become a psychologist. So, um, they are frontier. They are out there. When we talk about rural, like there is nothing for hours. Like I learned to take supplies with me when I would just like go for a 45 minute drive. Cause there's nothing out there. Um, so when I matched and I, <laughs> when I matched with Wyoming, I'm not gonna lie. I was a little surprised. surprised. I was surprised. And then COVID hit. And so interestingly enough, this is just a tidbit of information for you yeah. uh, because Wyoming is so rural. They did not, this one site, one site did not require, they, they didn't even have in-person interview. They didn't have them. They only did phone interviews. So they didn't even do Skype or like wow. They did phone interviews and everybody like sat in the room and they would ask questions on the phone. And so I was like, oh crap, of course, this is the one that I match with because I've never seen these people. And how else is the Lord going to teach me trust? I just don't like, you know, don't, don't know anything. So I was like, okay, match on match day. And I immediately booked flights to like go visit the town and try to find housing and all that stuff and meet them, like meet these people. Yeah. And then COVID hit and then, uh, our, our travel got canceled and all that stuff. And so I did not know anything about this other than what I could find on the internet, uh -huh. um, until I literally drove into town. So I drove all the way across country, wow. uh, packed as much crap in my car as I could and drove across this country to get there and then showed up and I was like, okay, this is where I live. Um, and so <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was the, mo I don't, I don't like doing things blind, Daniel. I really mm. don't. I like to mm. think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like to make good decisions. So it was a, it was an exercise for sure. But I will just say that VA uh -huh. is legit. I had all the experiences I could ever want to have while mm. I was there. They were so supportive. They were like, Oh, you want to do this? Great. Oh, you want this kind of client? Great. Like, and the psychologists there were superb. They were, if I was going to learn, like in my last year, if I was going to spend time with a bunch of psychologists, these are the ones I, if I, if I could have picked them, like just design them, they would be these people. <laughs> they were phenomenal. And awesome. I am still in contact with them. Um, mm. And I, I hope to visit them and work with them in the future, like do publications. Like I, I professionally want these people and personally want these people in my life. So, um, the Lord knew what he was doing. Right. So <laughs> it was, um, it's not what I would have chosen. I think as my, as my number one, but it yeah. definitely was uh, a wonderful experience. Hmm. Um, and I'm all the better for it for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's also very encouraging to hear. And it's, um, I appreciate you sharing your experience. That's uh, that's really fun. And just, just thinking about you going across country in this little town in Wyoming and that you've never been to before. And maybe it wasn't your first pick, but hearing you on the latter side of it, saying that it was everything that you could have asked for if you had known you wanted that. Yeah. Um, what was the, so you mentioned, you know, the, yeah, the rural population um, and you've grown up your whole your whole life on the East Coast. What was the demographic of clientele like there? Was it was it a stark difference? Did you did you expect more of a difference or was it more like, oh, you know, these people are the same? Yeah. What was it like that? Uh, different. It was mm. different. Uh -huh. um, so I will say, you know, even in just this area, right, like uh -huh. where we are um, in southeastern Virginia, there's there's a level of diversity that is just normative, uh -huh. right? So yeah. uh, racial diversity, ethnic diversity, uh, aged, like generational, 
uh, all, like everything. And so, and so I just kind of have this norm in my head about that. And so when we, you know, we arrived, arrived <laughs> in Wyoming, uh-huh. um, I, I did as much as I could to understand the demographics a little bit before I got out there, uh-huh. realizing that indigenous um, peoples is a significant part. So the, the internship site actually did a wonderful job um, because they knew that they were getting, you know, they know that they're getting people from um, kind of urban areas or from the coast. Yeah. And so they they structure those first two weeks of training with us really well. And the first lecture we have is about frontier and rural psychology and what oh. it's like wow. to work in a place like this. Right. And so yeah. beyond um, beyond like dual roles and um, that kind of stuff, because uh-huh. that is going to show up like it just does. Uh-huh. But also like the mind frame of people who are from that area and what it what it is like to interact with people who are so incredibly independent because they have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, when you ask about risk and suicidal um, ideation and you're trying mm-hmm. to assess for that and then also put together um, a safety plan when you ask about firearms, it is mm-hmm. not uncommon for them to be like, I don't know. I don't know how many I have. Last uh-huh. time I counted, it was 50. I'm not kidding. I, I, like, cause they see them as tools. Like, yeah. Yeah. so wrapping like your head around that was just, there's some training just about how, how they think about the land, how they think about each other. Mm. Um, so that, that was, a, that was actually the biggest part for me was to like, try to get into the mind frame of what it's like to live in that area uh-huh. and grow up in that space. And then also just, there's not a lot of racial diversity. It's a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people who who live there, since there are not a lot of natural resources, they they choose to live there and they forge a life out of the really harsh conditions. I mean, I I experienced this is a small thing, but I experienced a hundred degree range in temperatures. So it would be it would be it was negative thirty one day, and then you know in the summer I remember it being up like one hundred and twenty degrees. So it's like wow. this like like so people who who can survive in that uh-huh. they're hardy and they have a different kind of mindset about what they're doing when they're out there. And so mm-hmm. um, and then to also learn the history of indigenous people and what um, that whole, that whole piece of history, right. And, and, mm. and the implications of that and the ripples through time. And so, um, you know, there were some indigenous people that would come through the VA who were veterans, mm. um, and, you know, reconciling kind of this, these identities that they have within themselves, mm. uh, was super interesting. Um, Wyoming specifically is, 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 is different than some of the states around it and that they were the first to um, rectify uh ratify laws about women being able to vote they were the first state oh, to, cool. to sign that and allow for women to vote oh. um so in some ways they feel really progressive right so the matthew uh-huh. shepherd situation happened there they were the first to put really um good laws and protections for lgbtq people but it, in some ways it's pretty progressive in that way in some ways it feels really um conservative i mean it is a conservative state they tend to vote very conservatively um and so the dichotomy there was interesting to navigate to it was a lot it was a lot to learn it was yeah. A place. yeah that sounds super fascinating good yeah. experience right yeah it really was yeah. i did a lot of hiking it was great Saw a oh, lot of bison. yeah did you ride any horses oh gosh no I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's not my jam <laughs> um one of the last questions i had is uh um was well, kind of a twofold question mm-hmm. so one who who either whether they're currently in the field or they were prior who has been very influential for you in the field of psychology and then two 
um, if you could recommend maybe a book or an author, um, who would you recommend? I'm gonna have to think on the second one for a minute because okay. I have so many yeah. that I love. I love so um, to answer the first part of your question. Gen genuinely, uh -huh. the, the people who have most influenced me in this field have been my mentors and supervisors. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, you know, I don't know if that's not like the answer you maybe no, like people yeah. want. Is it like this fancy answer? Because yeah. it's not like Zimbardo. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not <laughs> uh -huh. like Stephen Hayes. The people who really influenced me are the people who invested time in me and mm -hmm. who were willing to share of themselves and mm -hmm. to to be an example for me and the people that that welcomed me to kind of bear witness to the way that they work and to mm. learn from that. Um, so very specifically, obviously, Dr. Yarhouse is one of those. Dr. Page is a significant uh -huh. one of those for sure. Dr. Stevens, like all the people that I work with, people that I worked with at EVMS, um, I still follow them. We still stay in contact there. Um, I, I still seek them out for counsel um, and when I'm making decisions, right? Like career decisions and things. And, and I have found that people in this field are so like more than happy to reach back and to, yeah. to share their wisdoms. And to me, that's invaluable. Yeah. It is one of the reasons why like, I couldn't imagine being in this field without staying connected to students, right? Mm. To be able to like, as in, if I have any wisdom, if I can support them in any way, like that's my hope, right? Because so much was poured into me. I, I can't imagine not turning around and pouring it into someone else. And so um, it's it's really those people that were closest to me and who, mm. who took the time to, to to talk with me and teach me. And um, so really everybody in my peers now, and they're my peers now, which is just like, <laughs> yeah, it's mind blowing. Um, yeah, so books. I, because of the work that I do, um, and, and I don't say this because he was also my mentor, but Dr. Yarhouse's books are mm. um, some of the some of the ones that I return to again and again. Mm. Um, I return to them for myself, and I return to them when it's time for me to to provide resources to other peers uh -huh. um, and to people who are navigating the process. Um, he has a, a, a wealth of publications out there for clinicians specifically, mm -hmm. um, for pastors and for lay people who are you know, trying to understand and grapple with different concepts. And so I return to those again and again. Mm -hmm. There are some other authors. Um, Wesley Hill is a theologian okay. who identifies, um, I, 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 um, he's a celibate gay Christian. Uh -huh. And so he, his attraction is toward men, but he's chosen a celibate lifestyle. And it's not just celibacy. He uh -huh. seeks community and deep relationship with um, intentional relationship with families that he has been connected with. Like he is part of their family. They do not make decisions without mm -hmm. him. Like, wow. so there are these really beautiful ways of living and people who have done such deep and thoughtful work mm -hmm. um, in the area of faith and sexual and gender identity. And, and, and I, I soak in that because yeah. it is an opportunity. I, I, so much of um, kind of like society and life just moves really quickly. Uh -huh. And in graduate school, I, I so appreciated the opportunity to kind of just think, right? <laughs> like to digest information and to think and to grow and to deepen. And um, there are people out there who are continuing work like that. And so when I read those authors, 
I then get to sit and think mm. and grow and deepen. And that's the kind of stuff that I think um, allows us to be effective for the long haul, mm. right? Because yeah. it doesn't stop when you graduate. You just yeah. keep growing and learning. Yeah. That was very well put. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Keith, thank you very much. This has been very uh, fun and it's been informative. I've, I've enjoyed talking with you and I hope that everyone, I'm sure everyone will enjoy listening. So. Oh my gosh, Daniel, this is wonderful. <laughs> what a great opportunity. Thank you. I'm not going to lie. I kind of want to stop and be like, so Daniel, like, let's do this in reverse. Like, tell me yeah. all the things, right? Uh, maybe next, maybe, maybe we can do a follow-up. Another time. Yeah, please do. That would be great. All right, Dr. Keith, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you.